If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're out of the to give this devotion a title tonight, I'd call it Two Important Questions. Because by design, at the end of this service, I'm basically going to ask two important questions. And I'm not asking for a response here. And sure as I ask these two questions... Uh, Normally, I'm bombarded with defense mechanisms. This message is uh, born out of a deep hurt in my heart. It's been growing for quite a while. I call it, I can even call it a a sickness. You call it what you want to. It could be a pain. It could be an ache. What I can tell you is it hurts, and it seems to be organic and growing and I was listening. One of the good things about the trip down and back is that I got to listen to four messages of Dr. Daniel Simmons and another four messages by an Englishman uh, and uh, from Philippians and just kind of got my cup full. But I want to remind you of something that you know. Our culture is in direct rebellion and opposition against Almighty God. And the hurt that, that, that runs inside of me is a hurt that our culture, our country, and our way of life. Now, I'll just tell you, God doesn't care about our way of life. We've been blessed here. But our culture and our country, who is in direct opposition of God, is now beginning to disintegrate before our very eyes. And why it hurts so bad is it seems to me that sin and evil are winning out. It seems to me that the culture is becoming increasingly dark. And at the same time, the church, by and large, is becoming irrelevant. And for the church... Think about this. Don't be offended at this. This is reflective as much as a message to you. This is a message to me. So much in this culture demands our focus, our time, and our resources. The second message that Daniel preached in his series spoke about other gods. I mean, you know, we say we have the answer. But really, what are we doing about it? Our first defense is to say, well, there's so few of us, what can we really do about it? But you know, Jesus only started with 12, which is where we're going to start tonight. And what I want to do is take... Uh, take this story, and I'm, I'm going to remind you, Jesus started with 12. Watch this. He started with 12. I know he fed 5,000, probably fed 25,000 at one time. But at the end of his three-year ministry, that 12 had only grown to 120. And then 10 days later, when they got filled with the Spirit, then it exploded. And 
It's why we're here today. And so what I want to do is, is chapter 10, verse 1 through 15 is a very familiar story. I want to put that in front of us. I want to run around this story just to kind of give you the snippets. And then I'm going to hang the two questions on you, and I want you to carry them with you to your small group, to your prayer time, to your Bible. And I want you to resist the urge when these questions come out because they're very offensive. I want you to resist the urge of becoming defensive. And I want you to accept the responsibility and the opportunity of evaluating what's going on in the life of God's people. Verse 1, And he, that's Jesus, called to himself his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out, to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now verses 2 through 4 just names the twelve disciples. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. The twelve disciples are listed there. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly. I say to you, it will be more bearable on, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The first mission trip. Before we get to those two questions, let's just kind of break this down. I want you to see what Jesus, what he did for these disciples. First of all, he gave them the authority. Did you see that in verse 1? He called himself and gave them the authority over unclean spirits, cast them out, healed diseases, and every affliction. The old King James, you have an old King James that uses the word power and not authority. But actually, this word in the Greek language is a derivative from the word exousia, which means authority. And it, and it means like giving them the capacity, it means giving them the freedom, it means giving them the ability, the, the privilege, it even means giving them the right to accomplish the task that he had given them. There is very little in this life more frustrating than to be given a task and not be given the authority to fix it. Could I get an amen? Imagine yourself. Imagine that we're a board of directors. 
And we hire Ed Waits to be our new manager, and our company is going under. Sales are down. Productivity is down. We hire Ed to be our CEO, and he's going to. we tell him, Ed, we want you to save our country. We want you to make it productive. We want you to rise it to the top. He's fired up. Everybody likes that challenge. And then we go, oh, one little thing. Here's the deal, Ed. We want you to change directions of our country, our company, but you can't change policies, you can't change procedures, you can't change the process, and you can't change personnel. Now, can I ask you a question? How many of you would jump on that job? Because, because if you don't have the authority, you can't fix it. Could I get an amen? Jesus didn't withhold his authority from these disciples And Jesus does not withhold the authority from the church. We forget the authority that he's given to the church. If you go to that Matthew 16 passage, he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And we think we're supposed to set up shop. You remember in the old uh, World War II days? Now, I, I, I saw it on the, on the movie house. Some of you may have actually lived it. Uh, Van, y'all might have probably saw it in Vietnam, where the invading troops, those who went in, were up against people who set up strongholds. They called them machine gun nest and the like. Do y'all remember seeing that? On I remember it from combat and from uh, to hell and back. Is that they would set up those machine gun nests and the people coming in and charging. Well, you know what? In God's economy, the church is the one charging. And that church... Charging the gates of hell set up there, but we have we have digressed today to where the church has circled the wagons and set up, and Satan and the gates of hell are charging us. You see, folks, we've been given the authority to overcome the world. Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. Jesus gave them the authority and gave us the authority. The second thing that I see here is Jesus gave them an assignment. A specific assignment, very clear what he wanted them to do. Go nowhere. He gave them a target. Nowhere but among the Gentiles and the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what you're supposed to do. Proclaim as you're going the gospel that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse, and, and cast out, and serve them. You see, Jesus had clearly defined what they were supposed to do. And just as surely as he gave them the authority to go, he gave them the assignment to complete. And may I add today that that assignment is still the church's assignment today. And it don't matter whether we're 8, 18, or 85. It's still the assignment. And a church has to be about uh, this assignment of sharing the gospel and reaching people for Christ. And if a church doesn't do that, then it's not his church. We're to carry the light of the gospel to this culture that is so dark. And then he gave them the approach. Now, you're following this? The authority, the assignment? He gave them the approach. He said, 
acquire no silver or gold or copper, no bags, no two, no two tunics, no two sandals, no two staff. Basically what he said, he said, you go out there and you go and you walk and you work by faith. You see, the interesting to me, thing to me is that he told the disciples to make the offer of salvation. To share the offer of peace. Even share the offer of grace. And by the way, he told them what to do when people rejected the offer. Hello? And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. I have said this several times from our pulpit. I fear that the church today, we, me, Spends way too much time on people that our Lord would have already shaken the dust off his feet to give somebody else an opportunity. But I want to ask you a question. What if, just what if, the people who will not hear or listen to the gospel are our friends or worse yet our family or loved ones? By the way, Jesus expected this to happen. He expected our family and our friends and our loved ones to not listen to it. If you don't believe it, if you've got your Bible open, let's go outside of our text down to verse 16 and see what happens. Jesus is still speaking. He said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as dove. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you, brother... Will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But here's the caveat he who endures to the end will be saved. Those are hard words. Hello? He gives them the authority to go and tell the message. He gives them the assignment of telling the message. He gives them the approach all the way down to the bad news. And then he gives them what I'm going to call the aftermath. I call it the aftermath, but what I really mean is he gives us the scary part. He gives us the payoff. He gives us the sad ending for those who don't listen to him, those who won't hear I don't know about you, but when I read verse 15, it frightens me to death. It causes me more than to pause. He says, I say to you, truly, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town who refuses to listen. Can you imagine the face of the disciples when Jesus uttered those words? 
So, we have Jesus sending his disciples out. As I read in verse 16, like lambs to the slaughter, like lambs among wolves, knowing knowing the problems. And yet, because of the influence of this 12 people, watch this, because of the influence of this small band of followers today, Jesus is the center of the world. He's the center of time, A, B, C, A, D. He's the center of the laws, Ten Commandments based, every law system we've ever begun. He's the center of conflict of the world because of light versus darkness. He is the center of hope. The people who claim to know him hold the key that he is the center of. And so here we are in this world. Our country is disintegrating. Our culture is going down the tubes. So, Brother Jerry, what in the world are those two questions? You can take great offense at these and walk out here mad at your preacher. Or you can take them how my heart intends them for a true evaluation. And if we do something with the questions... We may see God send revival. Here's the first question. And these questions have been eating at me for ten years. Question number one. What if? What if? What if God's people, God's people, were to give as much passion, speech, energy, Effort, support, and even money to the cause of Christ, the cause of the gospel, as they do their favorite hobby, sports team, local ballpark, or even their family. What would happen? Conversely, you know, you may think that's an unfair question, but conversely, what would happen if God's people gave as much passion and speech and energy and effort and support and even money to their favorite hobby or a ballpark or family or sports team as they do to Christ? I'm going to make one comment about that. I think we're seeing that today. I think we're seeing the answer to that question today. That's why people are joining ballparks left and right. And that's why sports has become the God of America. Question number two. How many times... This is a personal question. This is a spiritual question. How many times would you keep inviting someone to your house... If they kept declining the invitation, when would you get tired? And I wonder how many times the Lord will continue to invite us to salvation, to be a part of His kingdom's work. If we keep declining, 
I pray that you'll carry those two questions with you tonight. Because I sincerely believe God's already given us the authority, the assignment, the approach, and even a picture of the aftermath. Let's pray together. Father, I pray.